Welcome to this special edition of the Strategy Driven Podcast, an interview with Wendy Powell, author of Management Experience Acquired. On behalf of the entire Strategy Driven team, I would like to welcome you to this special edition of the Strategy Driven Podcast, an interview with Wendy Powell, author of Management Experience Acquired. The Strategy Driven Podcast focuses on the tools and techniques executives and managers can use to improve their organization's alignment and accountability to ultimately achieve superior results. These podcasts elaborate on the best practice and warning flag articles found on the Strategy Driven website at www.strategydriven.com. In this special edition podcast, Wendy Powell, Human Resources Management Consultant and Business Faculty Member at Palm Beach State College and the University of Phoenix, shares with us her insights and experience-based techniques managers need to effectively deal with the diverse employee issues that occur in today's workplace environment. These tools will truly help first-time managers and veteran administrators alike become more effective and their employees more efficient. And so now, without any further delays, let's get started. We are privileged to be joined by Wendy Powell, author of Management Experience Acquired, Necessary Skills for Successfully Managing Any Employee. With more than 25 years of human resource and management consulting experience, Wendy has spent most of her career at the University of Michigan. She is currently on the business faculty at both Palm Beach State College and the University of Phoenix. A member of the Society of Human Resource Management, she received a leadership award in 2002 from the Midwest College and University Professional Association for Human Resources. Wendy is routinely featured in the Huffington Post and has appeared on Fox News Strategy Room. Wendy holds a Bachelor of Science degree in Business Management and a Master of Arts degree in organizational management. Wendy, welcome to the Strategy Driven Podcast. Thank you, Nathan. I'm thrilled to have you on the show. I loved your book, and as we uh, talked about in the pre-show, which our listeners don't get to hear, I really loved the stories of everyone's favorite employee, Joe. (laughs) And I think as we talk, our listeners are going to be able to relate, as I think they have all met Joe at one time or another in their careers as well. Oh, that's absolutely correct. Well, Wendy, to, to start out with, as I read Management Experience Acquired, you seem to target first-time managers, but I really walked away uh, appreciating the book and finding that it not only applied to first-time managers, but really was of great value or would be of great value to veteran managers as well. And it seems to me that many organizations today don't either adequately prepare to elevate folks to management positions or 
their selection process is faulted in that those that they promote to management positions are what I would call super technicians and not those individuals who display true management competence. What do you see as the general readiness of first-time managers for the new jobs that they're assuming? And what are the business drivers that are really behind this condition? Yeah, first of all, going from the level of a good practitioner to a leader, a manager, a supervisor in an organization is one of the most difficult, if not the most difficult thing that a person is going to do in their career mm-hmm. because it's a completely different set of competencies. Because being a good practitioner, you know your job uh, firsthand, but you're going into a new realm, and people need to be preparing themselves for those leadership competencies, which are completely different. Now, the leadership competencies they need to be prepared for are how you impart goals and objectives on employees, how you evaluate them, how you make employees or help employees to be good employees and how they make the manager look good themselves. And often employees will be managing their peers, particularly in these times, because when there are levels of management that are being eliminated, the boss can walk up to you, tap you on the shoulder, and say, hey, you, you're the boss now. And a lot of people don't really know what it takes. So they need to be building their management competencies. You need to be thinking in terms of what would you do if you were the manager? How would you grow people? How would you involve people? And also, how would you involve the people that are working for you in the decision-making process? That uh, certainly is tried and true, that if you involve the people in that process, they're going to comply with the rules and they're going to apply with the new standards. So you Mm -hmm. need to make sure that you're getting out there and and explaining to the employees exactly where they stand and what the new rules are. I couldn't agree more. In fact, one of the points you had made that struck me as being just so true is as a technician, you often have very prescriptive procedures and policies. I don't want to suggest it's a cookbook, but it's certainly a more regimented process to follow. And as soon as you become a manager, people skills are very soft and very fluid and dynamic. And and as you use as Again, our favorite employee, Joe, throughout your book, Joe comes in a lot of different flavors and shapes and sizes and it's just very different person to person. And it requires a fluidity of being, of thinking to really be a manager that just doesn't exist when you're down in that super technician level. Oh, there's no question. In fact, you need to be thinking in advance. If you have aspirations to become a leader or a manager, you need to think about your brand. Mm-hmm. What is it that you want to be known as? Do you want to be known as a controlling person who does not involve employees in the decision-making process, can't make a decision? You want to make sure that you are thinking about that in advance and building those skills. And that was one of the reasons I wrote the book is to prepare people for that level because they need to be thinking about those things. And the employers uh, don't always educate or have the ability to educate people along the way. Okay. Now, Wendy, on that line of thinking about being prepared, whether the first-time manager is a superstar and really well-equipped to handle that management position, or if they're 
a super technician and maybe not so well equipped to handle being a manager. Either way, there's always room for some improvement. What would you recommend companies do to better prepare those individuals that they're considering moving into a management role? They need to take the time to do good succession planning, mm -hmm. to identify the, the movers and shakers in the company. People know. People know who are the ones who are going to be the cream of the crop. Um, start providing them with some leadership roles. Put them in charge of a team. Put them in special projects. See how they do with that. Provide them with specific training on the values of the organization. We don't do a very good job of doing that by providing the values, providing the training on the policies and how you administer the policies because people don't necessarily know how to do that. Mm -hmm. That's policy-specific. That's organization-specific. And people need to be providing their uh, future leaders with materials that are common-sense training materials, uh, nothing detailed, nothing complicated. In fact, we often make management too complicated. You know, you start with A, you go to C, and you go back to B, and then you go to E. I mean, you, you need to make sure there's a fluidity to it. Mm -hmm. the training and a logical progression. Now, Wendy, to flip the coin just a little bit, because I've always been a, a believer that development is something that is an individual's responsibility. So for our listeners out there who are not in a management position quite yet, but aspire to achieve that responsibility within their organization, what would you recommend that they do to prepare themselves for the challenges of management? Well, they need to be certainly taking the right classes. I mean, you can't replace a good, solid business education. Mm -hmm. You need to look to see what's available out there, community college, um, state colleges. You need to look at what's out there that will help them to grow. One of the best things that you can do to prepare yourself for a management position is to provide scenarios to people to look at and apply them. You know, in fact, that's really the adult learning mode in general. Mm -hmm. You learn the information, you apply the contemporary information, and you apply it in your personal life right away. And these are some things that help people to practice. Once they practice it, they've got it. You know, it's, it's, I always explain to my students, if you are reading material, you're reading text, you're going to remember about 20% of that text, maybe 20%. Yes. And if you're looking at scenarios and you're looking how to apply it, you're going to remember it. You're going to remember how you applied it and what you're going to learn for the future. Mm -hmm. Well, and that education is going to teach them the language of management as well and provide them or, or broaden them in perspective. Because as a manager, they're not just focused on the task at hand. They have to be well, responsible for the task at hand, but then there's the people and the people's development and the budget. And, of course, there's profit and loss and there's performance metrics and there's a whole host of things that an education can bring awareness to. Oh, there's no question. Plus, if you're going to be leading a certain category of, of, of people, you need to know the lingo inside and out. Mm -hmm. You need to make sure you're understanding exactly what makes people in that field tick. And, and, you, and if you're lacking in that, if you're lacking on the current um, contemporary issues 
that that are um, affecting your field, then you're going to fall behind, and you're not going to be able to effectively deal with these very bright Generation Y people that are entering the workforce because they are paying attention. Oh, certainly, and they're assimilating information, especially about their industry, from a whole host of various sources that come in continually. And and I think of, for instance, the Wall Street Journal advertisement, not that this is a plug for them, but they say, you know, the most successful people read the Wall Street Journal. Well, I think what it really boils down to is not necessarily that they're reading the Wall Street Journal, but those are the people that are tied into the events that are going on that make a difference in their business in their industry, and in the marketplace that they're going to be needing to react to. Oh, exactly. They're applying the contemporary to the learning experience. You know, you learn something, and you need to apply what is happening in the workplace to make, make sure that you're able to apply it to your own workplace. That's right. That's absolutely right. And now, Wendy, another thing that comes to mind is throughout my career – I have found that my success as a manager really hinged on three key things, and those were integrity, trust, and competence. What I'd like to ask you is, what do you see as the most important thing a new manager should do to earn the trust of his or her employees? Oh, I totally agree with your three factors, integrity, uh, trust, and competence. What I add specifically is for managers and leaders to impart their creativity on their employees. Oh. Mm-hmm. You have to, in fact, that's the, the key criteria that people are looking for when they're hiring is creativity. The employees look to that as well because they are the future. Mm-hmm. Um, the people are going to lead them into their next position potentially. And if they create it and if they involve the employees, that is such a critical factor in goal setting and, and objectives for the next year for them. And, and, and it's very important that the subordinates realize that there's that dedication to them as well because we often forget about that. Mm-hmm. Dedication goes both ways. And when an employee feels important because they've been included – and then the manager follows up and honors his or her word and adheres to any commitments they made while the employee was uh, included, then that helps build that trust and that bond between the employees and the manager. Yes. I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard from employees that there is no commitment on the part of the organization to the employee any longer. Mm-hmm. It's a very sad statement. But it's a very unfortunate reality in our times yeah. because of the significant downsizing or right-sizing, as they call it. But we need to make sure that there is a level of commitment that is coming from both sides because you're not going to get the good work out of people unless there's that level of trust and commitment. Yeah, and I think that managers, while they don't have full control over the right-sizing that maybe their organization is going to do – they can make it their personal responsibility to see that their employees are prepared and well-positioned if they are one of those that is right-sized out of the organization to assume a role in another organization that is at least as equal to where they were, if not a better position. And if they've, they've yeah. done that, then they have fulfilled an obligation that they have as, as a manager. 
Yeah, companies can't be everything to everybody, mm-hmm. but they can certainly prepare people. They can yeah. uh, make them proud of what they are accomplishing and encourage them to do the best that they can do. Mm-hmm. Now, Wendy, there was another concept that you talked about in Management Experience Acquired that I particularly liked, and it was around the concept of employees expect to be treated fairly, but whether or not that means that they should be treated equally. So my question is, do employees have to be treated equally, and do corporate policies always have to be rigidly enforced? Well, that's always such an interesting topic. When I'm, when I'm talking to a group of managers or students, you always put the question out there. Do we feel that all employees should or need to be treated equally? And, you know, of course, you know, that, that's an, it's an American philosophy. Of course we all are equal. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is, in the workplace, everybody's different. Everybody has a different personnel file, different seniority, different record. And so instead of treating people equally in the workplace, they should be treated equitably, which yeah. is equal treatment considering all the factors about the employee. So mm-hmm. you need to be applying everything, such as you have someone who's been with the organization for 10 years, never had a problem, all of a sudden has a problem. You're not going to treat them the same thing as someone who's been there six months. So right. you know you look at those practices, and, and you have to understand that everybody's different. Of course, of course. You know, everyone has a statutory right. And everybody should be treated relatively the same, but everybody is different. Now, as far as policies are concerned, you know, the, the people that um, have done the best in management are creative thinkers. And, of course, we all have policies and procedures and values, but they, you know, they don't stay within that box all the time either. You know, right. they, they propose and change things and change policies, but they also have to be consistent with the values of the organization. But, no, everybody doesn't have to follow the policies exactly the same. Um, And if that was the case, a computer could manage as opposed to people because we're applying the humanity to it. Right. And I like how you phrased that, that people need to be treated equitably, not equally. And and I, I think that's very important. And, you know, I think when I sit down with folks and have to have those kind of discussions, we can very quickly get to an equitable conversation. It's not hard. And if you take the time to talk to people as to why maybe something is not exactly equally applied, uh, I think they too, in a sense of fairness, come to understand and recognize that quickly as well. Yeah. 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 It's not a stumbling block. And with respect to corporate policies, I like to consider that uh, we, we want to, it's like the intent of the law rather than the letter? Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I mean, I mean, there are some policies that have to be followed exclusively, but when it comes mm-hmm. to the creativity of the manager, the manager needs to apply the, the person to the situation. Right. Right. Now, Wendy, most new managers that I know, and, and I'm going to include myself on this one, they struggle with a few things. And one of the things that I see them or I have personally struggled with as, as a new manager was coaching subordinates, particularly if it's corrective and, and not a praise situation, or if the subordinate was significantly more tenured than I was. 
So in other words, it, in, in some cases, if we're talking extremes, it could be a Gen Y manager providing a corrective feedback or coaching moment to a baby boomer, an individual that might actually be old enough to be the Gen Y manager's parent. What advice would you provide those new managers so that they could better deal with those situations and, and overcome that challenge? Yeah, and it's it's a very common problem uh, where the workplace is a family unit. Mm-hmm. We spend more time with our colleagues during the workday than we do with our own families. Yes. And we generally take on that role. You know, we have the father figure, the mother figure, the, the siblings, and there's also the sibling rivalry. There's There, there are problems that result on a day-to-day basis um, from a personal level as well. So, so what the new manager needs to do is, again, respect the, the values, respect the accomplishments of the people that are in the older generations, if you will, and make sure they're dealing with a, a monumental amount of facts. If they're going to be doing corrective behavior, disciplining people, they need to make sure that they are, have a very good uh, set of information for discussion purposes. Use it as a discussion with the employee. Provide them a conversation where they can provide feedback, and they very well may agree that there's this problem. Involve the employees. You know, you can't say it enough. If you involve them, if you get involved with the goals and objectives setting uh, right up front, right at the very beginning of the review period, then you're going to have a much simpler job as the new manager or as the younger manager to bring mm-hmm. issues to the employee's attention. Have them do a self-evaluation. Ask them how they think they're doing, how they could correct it. They're experienced. They have done these kinds of things before, so they need to make sure that they are participating together in these sure. kinds of conversations. And to preempt this kind of thing, um, how about something like a mentorship program within an organization? I had um, a uh, team of students recently, and uh, I had a young student in his 20s, come to me and say, you know, I'm really tired of Joe because he's always telling me I did it this way. In my experience, this is how I handle it. And he said, you know what, I'm smarter than that guy, and I can do it better. I said, hey, listen to him. He's got the practical experience. So before it gets to problem correction, have those kinds of conversations, learn from each other, agree on a gap where there's a problem, and agree on how to fix it. If you generate that conversation, you're much further ahead. Sure, absolutely. And now, Wendy, another gap that I see new managers struggling with is a reluctance to approach seniors, peers, or in particular, the human resources staff to seek out advice on how to handle a particular employee concern or an issue that might come up. And this particular reluctance, I often feel is self-imposed. It's it's not that there's not an open-door policy. It's not that there's a a chilling environment. They just feel reluctant because maybe they feel it would give sort of an image of weakness on on their part if they went and reached out for this advice. What would you counsel new managers who feel this way that they should do to overcome this typically self-imposed obstacle? 
Yeah. I have a Joe like that. Uh, one of my Joes um, did not <laughs> want to use resources. In fact, he wanted to make sure that he was doing just the opposite. He was going on his own good, God-given instincts, and he wanted to make sure that, yep. that he did not go to anyone, and he thought of that as a weakness. So you you need to make sure that you have someone in the human resource function or you have a mentorship program. Again, mentors do a lot to resolve these kinds of problems. You have a a structured venting, if you will, a structured um, case, case analysis session with these new folks. And that way they don't feel uncomfortable about going to people. You've got the other people going to them and talking about how are things going. Are there particular challenges? Let's discuss a couple of particular issues that are happening in your workplace and how we're going to solve them if they come up. So preempt that kind of thing because it's a natural reluctance. And people do view it as a weakness, and that's unfortunate. But people do need to be um, provided with the resources, and they need to be provided with um, specific people that they can go to. Okay. Wendy, I have a special management leadership questions that I like to ask everybody I get a chance to that I talk with on the subject of of management leadership. And that is, I'd like to ask you for your opinion on whether you think that managers and leaders are born or if they can learn to become great managers and leaders. I think it varies by person. I've seen people that are very young, and you look at them and say, you know, that person's born to be a leader. That person can mm-hmm. be a manager and just step right into that role. Some of it's personality-based. But the fact of the matter is, yes, you can learn to be a leader, and you can learn to be a manager. And the way you do it is by practice. You, you look at scenarios. That's what, Again, that's one of the reasons I wrote my book, is you look at that information and it gives you the actual contemporary learning experience. So you're not necessarily going out and uh, working as a manager in the workplace, but you're practicing, and you're actually getting that experience. But, yes, people certainly can be made into leaders, but they have to gradually move into it on occasion, or they have to be provided with experiences, uh, teamwork, team leads, you know, uh, project management, but oftentimes they have to grow into it. But... One thing that that kind of spans both of them is the fact that they need to have some practice. Oh, that's great. Wendy, before we close, I wanted to mention to our audience that you have a website. It's www.managementexperienceacquired.com that provides commonly used tools and templates for managing employees. Would you mind telling us a little bit about your website and the resources our listeners can find there? Oh, great. Yes, in fact, any of the articles that I have written, uh, I've written many from that span from Career Builder to the Huffington Post, uh, CNN. There's information out there. I link those articles to my website, which can be used as a reference by managers. I also have a few template letters on there. I have what is called the best darn performance evaluation that I've ever seen, that I've worked with um, over many years. Um, and also I've got agreements, uh, last chance agreements. So you can put, you can go on there, take a look at the materials, and it will help. And there are also some links that will help managers to manage. Great. We'll put a link from the article that accompanies this podcast directly to your website. So with a single click, our audience members can get right there and uh, avail themselves of all the great resources that you provide. Wonderful. 
Well, Wendy, I want to thank you not only for your time, but for sharing your insights on how to become a more effective manager. I think it's important for our listeners to know that we have really just scratched the surface of the great information contained within your book. And I also want to mention to them that what I really appreciated was the many example stories you presented throughout your book about, again, our favorite employee, Joe, and that those illustrative examples, to me, brought the concepts and the principles and practices that you were describing to life. It created a very visual image that I think our readers are going to be able to see and look and say, oh, I know Joe. I've worked with this individual before. So I hope our leaders will pick up a copy of Management Experience Acquires, but more importantly, I really hope that they'll apply the principles and the practices that you describe so that they too can become a more effective manager and that they can help their employees become much more efficient. So thank you again for joining us. Thank you very much, Nathan. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this special edition of the Strategy Driven Podcast. I would like to personally thank Wendy Powell for being with us today and sharing her insights on becoming an effective manager. As always, we would appreciate receiving your feedback by email at podcast at strategydriven.com. If you enjoyed the show, please consider voting for us on Podcast Alley and visiting our website at www.strategydriven.com. You can find more information about Wendy Powell and Management Experience Acquired at www.managementexperienceacquired.com. Until next time, so long.